for today, our theme of Jesus Keep Me Near the Cross, our annual theme that we've been doing uh, in Bible class this morning. Dave authorized six-hour sermons, so hope you're comfortable. You had a big breakfast, and we are ready to, to go for that. Great. <laughs> I want us to have our attention there in Philippians chapter 2 and in verses 6 through 8, because uh, what the Apostle Paul does is he draws our attention to an important example of, of Jesus. And it's a, a text that I think we have come to know fairly well. Uh, we like to read it for the Lord's Supper. We often reflect on it. It's a very important passage about who Jesus is. And sometimes when it comes to a passage that we have read an awful lot of times, it's easy to lose the gravity of what the text is saying. Uh, to try to help avoid that, I'm going to use a different text today. I'm not going to use the NI, excuse me, not use the ESV like I almost 100% do, just because we sometimes just get so tracked into it. We've heard it said that way so many times uh, that you just kind of can put your mind in neutral as you hear something so familiar. So I'm going to use the NIV this morning. So if you're confused as to why you're not tracking with me, that will be the, the, the reason why. You'll notice it says there in regards to Jesus in verse 6 of Philippians 2, who being in the very nature, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Here just starting out, obviously in every way Jesus is God. He is completely God. He has God nature. He is everything like the Father in terms of divinity. And the point that the, that the Apostle Paul makes right out of the gate is that just because he's God, he doesn't use those qualities or that power or that character for his own advantage. I put that another way, not for selfish purposes. He doesn't use these things for himself. He doesn't use all of his power and glory and mind and all that he could do as, as the almighty God. He does not act on his own behalf, but he's going to act on the behalf of others. He doesn't see this as something to be used to his own advantage or some translations as something to be exploited. And that's the picture that that's being given here is as we start thinking about Jesus, he wants us to think about how all things are made by him and have been made for him. And yet he does not put himself first. That should be startling just right to the start. This is God. All power, all might, he can do as he pleases. He is the definition of what is right, good, holy, and just. And with all of that power and with all of that ability and recognizing that all creation is for him and that he made all creation, he does not act for his own purpose. He doesn't act for himself. He doesn't use these things to his own advantage, which... We marvel at when we study the life of Jesus, right? When we try to put ourselves in the life of Jesus and you think about what people are doing to him and we think, well, I know what I would do if I was God at that moment. I know what I would do to those people, that, that selfish response of I'm going to do something for myself. You never see Jesus do that. You don't see him doing anything in terms of his divinity for his own good or own selfish purposes. Rather, verse 7 
He made Himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance of man. Just the whole idea of here is God and He makes Himself nothing. Of anybody that doesn't have to do that, it's Him. And He makes Himself nothing. And that is seen in a variety of ways, not only in his willingness to not use his power for his own purposes, but then he goes on to describe he becomes human. He takes on the form of a servant, taking what was glorious and amazing, and he puts himself in a human body, full of frailty, full of weakness, lacking glory. Imagine where he comes from. The very throne room of God and the very presence of God where everyone and everything that is created worships Him and takes on humanity where absolutely nothing is worshiping Him. Where no one is honoring Him. Where no one is glorying in Him. And like Isaiah says, when you look at Him, you don't see God in human appearance. There is nothing about Him, contrary to all Renaissance paintings, that you would look at Him and go, ah, that must be God in the flesh walking around. There was no halo. There's no light shining down. There's no angels chasing Him everywhere He goes. He just looks like a common person. So common that when He says, I'm God, everybody looks at Him and goes, you're crazy. His own brother said he was crazy for saying he was God and did not believe him. Which I always am astounded by. Because you have to know Mary was telling him every day, yeah, he is. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he is. And they went, no, he's not. He can't be. There was nothing about him. In verse 8, finding himself in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself. Not only leaving heaven, coming to earth, not only coming in human form, but just think about what he's doing when he walks around. He did not make it about him at all. You think about how many times they tried to tell Jesus, you need to go make it about you. You need to go to Jerusalem and set yourself up as king. You can get everybody on your side and we're going to have a big party for you and we're going to say the king is here. And what Jesus does is he goes, nah, and he goes to the other side of the, of the, the lake. Not going to do that. You know, his brothers, oh, we'd believe you. you just, if you're really him, you need to go to Jerusalem and this is your time to reveal yourself. And Jesus, no, not going to do that. He humbled himself. And not only humbling himself, notice that verse 8 says, he becomes obedient to death. Don't let that pass you by. He humbles himself. This is God. He humbles himself to such a degree that he allows his own creation to kill him. He says, gives his life to them. He completely submits to them. You want to kill me? I'm going to let you kill me. Even though I'm God and I could stop you, even though He'd pass through the hands of those who try to arrest Him many times, this time He goes, I'm going to let you do it. 
You want to kill me? I'm going to allow it. He humbled himself to the point of death. But notice that the Apostle Paul doesn't stop there. And this has been the focal point of what this year has been about. He highlights the ending. Even death on a cross. Now we've tried to zero in on that every month. The shame of the cross. The horror of the cross. He doesn't just die. He dies in the worst way possible. He dies so that it looks like a declaration that he is a horrible criminal worthy of capital punishment by the Roman government. He dies in a way that is gruesome. He allows his own creation to take nails and put them through his hands and through his feet. He allows his creation to scourge him. He allows his creation to spit on him. He allows his creation to punch him, to hoist him on a cross and probably naked and shame before all of the people. He allowed that. He humbled himself to the most shameful means of death possible. That's what Paul is trying to highlight to us. Do we understand what he gave up in dying on a cross where a cross was a slow death? The cross was intended to discredit the individual. The cross was intended so that it would be a deterrent. Don't be like this guy because if you do what he does, you will die in the same way. That's what the cross was all about. It was a massive deterrent. He humbled himself. Though he's God in every way. With all power, with all rule, with all authority, with all privilege, and with all rights in his hands. He lets his creation kill him. Even death on a cross. Now why does Paul want to talk about that? Why does Paul zero in on that right here? Go back to verse 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset. This isn't a discussion about what does the cross mean and what does it look like and now let's take the Lord's Supper and discussion about that. That's not the focus of Philippians 2. He zeroes our attention on the cross and says, do you see what Jesus did? Now I want you to do the same thing for each other. CSB, adopt the same attitude. That is in Christ. Net, you should have the same attitude toward one another that Christ Jesus had. This is what is being put before us. This is the big message. What you see him do is what you're supposed to do with other people. What does that look like? He didn't have any regard for himself, but he had all the regard for others. 
If we were to begin to just simplify what this section is doing, what do we see in Jesus? Not about Him, is it? There's nothing about Him in in doing this. This isn't for His good. This isn't for His glory and popularity. Not in His own acts. He's doing it for others. He's doing it to serve others. God of creation. God of the universe. Humbling Himself. Emptying Himself. Making Himself nothing. So that He could serve others. That's why John 13 is stunning. Here are the disciples. Even the betrayer in the room. Takes a towel. Ties it around His waist. Looks like a servant. Fills a basin of water. Gets on the ground and washes dirty feet. All Jesus ever did was try to show, I'm a servant. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give His life a ransom for many. This is what Jesus is trying to show us. What He is depicting here by the Apostle Paul, complete sacrifice and complete submission. He just totally gives Himself. He gives Himself completely. In every aspect of humility, of no regard for self, of being a servant, of submitting himself, sacrificing himself. He did nothing for his own good. He did nothing for his own well-being. He never put himself first. He never said it's all about me, though all of history reveals it was actually all about him. But he never walked around going, you know what, light bulb on me, it's all about me. Everybody pay attention to me. Look at me, look at me, look at me. No, we need Genesis to Revelation to tell us it was all about him. But he didn't say that. He didn't act like that. He lived a life and made it look like it was all about us. He submitted himself. He gave himself up. He made himself nothing. He became a servant. It is an amazing picture that is given to us because he's telling us here, I want you to have the same attitude. Well, what does that mean? It means it doesn't matter who we are or can I say who we even think we are. It doesn't matter if we have authority or think we have authority or power or think we have power. It doesn't matter what we have in life. We don't use it for ourselves. We use it for others. Because this is what He did. With all of His authority, what does He do? Serve. With all of His power, what does He do? Serve. With all of His might, what does He do? Serve. With all of His privileges, what does He do? It's unavoidable. This is what the Apostle Paul is driving at. That we would look at Jesus and it would so radically change the way we think. 
We would look at the life of Jesus, look at the sacrifice, look at the humility, look at the servant nature you see in Him. Look how He made Himself nothing. And then we would do likewise, which by the way, back up a verse, that's exactly what Paul said. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. What did he just say? Stop thinking about you. Don't do anything. Don't say anything or do anything when you're thinking about you. Don't do it. Don't do not do it. Do nothing from any kind of basis of self. Don't do it. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. You say, I don't know what that means. All right, he made it clear for you. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. He's startled by how the Apostle Paul takes what Jesus did and he says, now that's how we're supposed to think. And you might go, well, now wait a minute. Humble yourselves even to death for one another? Really? Not that far, right? Oh, wait, Apostle John. 1 John 3, verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down His life for us. And we just go around high-fiving each other going, isn't it great that He died for us? We just leave it right there. And we ought to lay down our lives for each other. It's not just simply be humble, stop thinking about yourself. Take it all the way through verse 8 of Philippians 2. You humble yourselves even to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is what the Apostle Paul is trying to show us. Have this same attitude, same mindset in the relationships that we have with each other. Have that same mentality. Value others ahead of yourselves. Think of them, not yourself. Do nothing from your own selfish thoughts. And you sacrifice, submit, and serve and give yourself up completely. That's what it means to be a Christian. This is the mind that we're supposed to have. Alright, let's be challenging then in the last few minutes. Though the text is not applying it to this first point, I just want us to imagine what this would look like. And just for a moment, could you imagine if everybody in the world applied this passage? If what everybody did was had such a sacrificial heart that they said, I'm not looking out for me, I'm looking out for you. Can you just imagine what it would look like with almost 7 billion people on the earth, what that would look like? The place would be all right. (laughs) Man, what a difference things would be if everybody had the mind that Christ is teaching here. Would you have slaughters and wars and pain and loss and power? You wouldn't have any of it. None of it would have ever happened. 
You really could sing the song, we'll all just hold hands across the globe and drink a Coke. It would be possible. But not because of Coke. It would take this mentality. I will not think of me, I will think of you. But let's apply it in the way that he says. And the relationships that we have with one another have this same mind among you. So let's start thinking about it in terms of that. What would the relationships look like in the local church if we had this sacrificial heart? What would it look like among us? Can you imagine what that would look like? Well, I'll tell you one thing. I don't think we would ever have any divisions or any strife, would we? Putting into argument. Putting into putting others, putting ourselves ahead of others. Look at me mentality. I'm in charge. I'm the boss. I have a say. I'm important. Blah, blah, blah. Everybody in the room would just say, no, no. Don't worry about me. I'm worrying about you. (laughs) What can I do for you? How can I submit to you? How can I serve you? How can I give to you? That's what would happen. That's the heart that the Apostle Paul is driving at when he gives this picture of Jesus. And I want us to realize that using the picture of Jesus erases all excuses, doesn't it? It erases excuses on a number of levels. One excuse we like to make is, well, I'm a somebody. Well, Jesus was a somebody and what did he do? It didn't matter that he was actually really a somebody. We concoct that we're a somebody. And we're not nobody. But Jesus is actually somebody. And what does he do? He empties himself. He humbles himself. He sacrifices himself. He serves and submits. So even if you are a somebody, it doesn't matter. Because that's what we do. Well, don't you know who I am? Don't you know how valuable I am? How important I am? How, how high and lifted up I am? It doesn't matter. The other excuse it takes away is, well, that person doesn't deserve me sacrificing for them. You know, don't you know who that person is? They're a really terrible individual. They're not really very nice. They're not very kind to me. They don't do a lot of nice things for me. And so I don't have to yield to them. I don't have to submit to them, serve them, humble myself before them. And see how Jesus takes that away? Because we didn't deserve anything that he did. We didn't deserve a single thing that he did for us. That's why we love Romans 5. While we were still enemies, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He gave it up before we had any kind of positive response. We were awful before him from start to finish. He still sacrificed. It doesn't matter what the other person does. That's the picture of what Jesus gives. See, sometimes we want to excuse ourselves with I'm a somebody or they're a nobody. And Jesus goes, I don't care who you think you are or what you think they are. Have this mind. Have a cross attitude. We put ourselves on the cross. And we humble ourselves. We yield ourselves. We submit ourselves. And we serve the other. Imagine what this would look like in the home if we had such a sacrificial heart. Imagine what this would look like in the home. We would be raising children in the child's best interests. Always. We would always do what is in that child's best interests. And you want to know what's hard about that? It's because children are exhausting. (laughs) 
And the child goes, Daddy, Daddy, I want to play. And I go, I'm tired. But as soon as I think I'm tired, what am I doing? I'm thinking about me. I'm not thinking about the child. And when the child needs discipline and I go, I don't want to get up off the couch, what am I doing? I'm thinking about me. I'm not thinking about what's in the best interest of the child at that moment. You see, imagine how different it looks in the home even when it comes to parenting. That this is what needs to happen for the child, whether it be reward or consequence or discipline or praise or whatever it is. Will always do what is in their best interest. I'm not thinking of me and how I'm tired, it's exhausting, it's been a long day, a long week, I'm going to kill this kid, or whatever it is that we're in at that moment. We have to do what's in that child's best interest. We've been called to it. This is the cross attitude. And by the same token, to the reverse side, children. You may not like the rules. You may think your parents are unfair. They're coming up with all kinds of crazy stuff. And you still have to honor and submit and do what they say. Because you're thinking about you when you don't like the rules. And you're thinking about you, about your feelings. And imagine how different the home would be. If parents are doing what's in the best interest of the children, the children are doing what's in the best interest of the parents. Well, that's a radically different home, isn't it? That's a radically different home when these are the constructs that we use that God gives us to do. Let's keep imagining what would marriage look like? You see, I'm going from wide and funneling down. I said, think about how different the world would be. Think about how different the church would be. Think how different the home would be. Think how different marriage would be. It would be a dramatic change if in our marriages we practice what we are seeing. Verses 5 through 8 described for us. I'm going to take on both ends of this, husbands. We would be like Christ. You know, Christ is described as the head. and He never walked around saying, I'm the head. Everybody do what I do. Follow me. Or I'm going to blast you. What we've noted is that Jesus saw leadership as the way to serve. He saw his leadership as a means of serving. This is what Ephesians 5 is doing. It's a shame that too often selfish thinking and selfish actions so invade the home. It is shameful that we would treat people outside of the home better than we would treat people inside of the home. We have before us the model that Jesus has given us, that Jesus saw his authority, he saw his power and ability as a means of elevating others, and he submitted himself, he served, he gave himself. I want you to think about that for a minute. What makes our submission to Jesus easier? You know, Jesus, ultimately, we're supposed to submit to him. How does he make that easy for us? Have you thought about that? (laughs) Do you make it easier for us because he walks around saying, submit to me, submit to me, you submit to me, submit to me, all you submit to me. 
He makes it easy because he sacrificed himself. That's how he makes it easy. He completely gave himself with all of that power, authority, might, and rule and privilege. He sacrificed it. He submitted himself. He served. He gave. Friends, this is what it means for us as husbands that we can create an atmosphere in the godly marriage of submission by not acting like you're in charge, but acting with sacrificial love because that's what Jesus did. If we're going to be what He says in our relationships with one another, then it is taking on then this act of service. We are going to serve. We are going to submit. We are going to do what's in the other's best interest. And that will mean in terms of children. It will mean in terms of our wives. It will mean in terms of the church. That will be in everything that we do. Our thinking. Remember, that's what He wants. Have this mind. Our thinking, this attitude, will be of a cross that we bring into the marriage. I am giving myself for you. I am sacrificing myself for you. I am serving you. That's what Jesus displayed. That's the picture. This is what the Scriptures are always picturing. This is what Ephesians 5 is picturing with its lengthy description of husbands as Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church except like this? Humility, self-sacrifice, serving, submitting, not thinking of self, but giving himself completely. That's what the love looks like. And as husbands, we bear direct responsibility for that. We bear direct responsibility. If God's going to say we're head of the home, then guess what? We're in charge of that. We bear direct responsibility that that is the atmosphere that we are creating an atmosphere of humility, an atmosphere of serving, an atmosphere of submission, an atmosphere of self-sacrifice, an atmosphere of giving, an atmosphere of doing what's in the best interest of my wife. Because that's what Jesus did for us. Let's flip it the other direction. Again, imagine what marriages would look like if both of us had this sacrificial heart. There wouldn't be undermining in the marriage, right? It would be, again, thinking about the other person and doing what is in his best interest. That wives would work with their husbands, not against. By the way, we're going to start Genesis in, in January. That line right there is the essence of the curse. That wives will undermine and work against their husbands. That's the whole curse on a plate right there. That's what we're undoing. Don't think of self. Undo that. We are not working against each other, but working together. And so therefore, we will have respect, love our husbands. And I like 1 Peter 3, 1-6 through 6 because... You will note that in 1 Peter 3, 1 through 6, it is clear that in describing the characteristics of this this woman who has the inner beauty and is quiet and peaceable and doing all of these good things, it is in a context of a husband who is not a Christian. Remember, it says to do all those good works. Why? So that he will be won over without a word. 
See, so often what we do in marriage is we say, well, because the other person isn't doing fill in the blank, I'm not going to do fill in the blank. And Peter says, I don't care what the other person's not doing. First Peter 3, I don't care if the other person's not a Christian. Win them over without a word. You be godly. You be faithful. You show love and respect. You don't undermine the marriage. You do what's in the best interests of the family. See, this is the sacrificial heart that, that God is describing. And now please think about it for a minute. If we can just visualize this theoretical world of marriage like this, where both people are showing the sacrificial, submissive heart that Jesus had, what would that marriage look like? Think there'd be a lot of problems in that marriage if both people are thinking about the other person and not themselves? I think we'd be a-okay. This is the picture that God is giving. If I could pull this back out a little bit as we wrap it up. In all the relationships that we've talked about, so if we are in marriage, if we are in parenting and you're the child or the parent, relationship of the church, whatever dynamic or relationship you are in, we will say essentially by our mentality, by our words, and by our actions, you're first, not me. What you want, not me. Your first. Your will, not mine. Your desires, not mine. And I want us to think about as we wrap up the motivations that God gives for this selfless living. Not only has He used the example of Jesus in verses 6 through 8 and go, here is what Christ did. And that would be powerful enough, wouldn't it? I mean... Jesus comes and he has all the authority and he has all the privileges and he is the creator God. So he has every right to make every demand possible. And he submits, he serves, he yields, he gives, he humbles himself, he becomes nothing. He does all of these things and now turns around and says, now be like that. In the church, in the family, in the home, in the marriage, you just do that. Stop thinking of you. No selfish ambition, no conceit, no me first. Always you first. Here's the example of Jesus. But notice he wasn't done with that. What was verses 9 through 11 all about in Philippians 2? God exalting that sacrifice. Because what we have the tendency to do and why I believe we resist submission, sacrifice, yielding, giving ourselves, humbling ourselves, putting others before ourselves, is we stop and we become insecure. And we are insecure because we think, well, nobody's going to think about me. Now, there's one safety net. In theory... In the marriage, the other's thinking of you. In the family, the other's thinking of you. In the church, others are thinking about you. So you don't have to worry about that because others are thinking about you. 
But let's say that's not true. Let's say you're in this church and there are 100 selfish people and you're the only one. You are the only one who is just, you know, humble and giving and self-sacrificing and everybody else is just abusing you and taking advantage of you and and is not even thinking about you in the slightest. Okay, let's just put that construct and go, I'm not going to I'm not going to do this anymore. What's the point of verses 9 through 11? The reason you don't have to think about you is because God is. The reason you don't have to think about you is because God is. Jesus can do all of this because the Father is thinking about him, raises him from the dead, and exalts him to his proper place. We want exaltation now. Put that out of your mind. That's not going to happen. But if you give yourself now, you sacrifice now, you serve now, you humble yourself now, you make everybody else number one and you make yourself last, God says, I will exalt you. And you will be with me because I will think about you. And friends, I'll tell you, As much as I might enjoy your exaltation, God's exaltation is a whole lot better. (laughs) Your praise lasts for a minute. (laughs) God's lasts for eternity. So I don't need yours. I need God's. You can serve. You can humble yourself. You can submit. You can give. You can make yourself nothing because God will exalt you. God will raise you up. That is where the heart of submission comes from. We rest in God, not in what everybody else will do for us. It's a good thing. Because if the only reason Jesus came was based upon what everybody would do for him, how would that decision process have looked? What's everybody going to do for him? They're going to kill him. They're going to rebel against him. They are going to reject him. They are going to put him on a cross. In fact, the scriptures tell us the vast majority of people are always going to reject God. He does it anyway. And whatever relationship we are in, friends, have this mind, have this attitude that was in Christ who being God Himself, humbled Himself, even to death on a cross. We invite you to come to Jesus. We invite you to see that that is extreme love. That is true love. True love puts others first. And Jesus puts you first. True love sacrifices, and Jesus sacrificed for you. True love submits. Jesus submitted his will for you. And we encourage you to come to him today. Turn away from your sins. Be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins and follow him faithfully. Can we help you do that? Won't you come while we stand and while we sing?